0: I want to welcome you. If hey, if this is your first time or your first time in a long time here at the Lufkin location, or joining us on uh, the broadcast live, wherever you are in the different forty-seven different states and six continents that we're on today. So glad that you've joined us there in the Northview Plaza, Nacogdoches, and Iglesia Timber Creek, and our guys at the Die Ball Correctional Center in the Duncan Unit. Come on, church, let's welcome each other today. One one church, many houses. Glad you've joined us. Uh, we're continuing our series called The Table. And what we're doing is we're unpacking from Genesis to Revelation some, some tables that have been set that uh, either Jesus sat around or that he may not have been there in the flesh, but there was something powerful pointing to him. The entire Word of God points. To Jesus. Jesus himself said on the road to Emmaus on the day of his resurrection to two guys, Cleopas and the other guy that we don't know his name, he said, Hey, uh, all of the scripture is about me. And so from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books written over 1,500 years in three different languages on two different continents, it's all about Jesus. And we lean into Jesus today at another table. As a matter of fact, this is an important table because Out of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are only two stories that show up in all four gospels. There are stories throughout those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but there are only two stories that show up in all four Gospels. One is a very popular story. It happened on the Super Bowl of Christianity. That is Resurrection Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus, crucifixion and resurrection, is in all four Gospels. And then this other story. And the Gospels are kind of like drone shots or like... uh, different camera angles on a sitcom. They give us from the author a different perspective. They give us a different angle on, uh, they give us the wide shot or the close-up shot, and they show us who Jesus is through these gospels, these accounts, this good news of Jesus. The other story is the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a small little meal. It's in Matthew 15, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6. How interesting is it that this is the one that God chose to tuck away from each perspective, from each author? Why? Is it the sheer size of it? That could be one thing. It could be the fact that when you claim to be the son of God, when you do something in front of nobody, like, man, I can dunk a basketball. But if you've never seen me dunk a basketball, that's just me talking. But if I dunked it in front of 5,000 people, okay, okay, okay. Now I can't. I mean, on a seven-foot goal, I can, but. Uh, but here, we see Jesus be Jesus, Jesus be a miracle worker in front of thousands of people all at once. It's hard to deny that he is who he says he is when all that happens in one moment and everybody's looking at each other saying, what have we just experienced? I wanna jump into this story today. If you're taking notes in your worship guide, you can follow along with some fill in the blanks and uh, we'll get to those in a moment. We're gonna start with John chapter six and sometime after this, the, the scripture starts, sometime after this, now what is the this? Jesus has already turned water into wine. He has raised the dead. He has healed blind eyes. He has, he has healed um, a centurion's daughter um, that, that he said, man, if you just command it, I know it'll be done. You don't even have to go see her. He, he has spoken. He has called the 12 disciples through the miracle of the great catch, and they begin to follow him. He has sent out 72 of his followers, uh, two by two, to go door to door and, and, and to pray over people. Like He is on a roll. A lot has already taken place. John the Baptist, who was the famous teacher of the day, had already turned to everybody, and said, You think I'm, I'm, I'm the person? I'm just pointing you to the person. I'm, not the, I'm, I'm pointing you to someone I'm not even worthy to unloose their, their Birkenstocks. Like, like they are special. All of this has taken place. And sometime after this, we see this story unfold. Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, away from Jerusalem onto the far shore, and a great crowd of people were following him. Now it's not like they were in the boat with him. It wasn't a huge ferry, he was crossing over and they weren't gonna take boats over, so they were following him, but they were gonna go the long way around and show up. So they're following him, but they're not quite there yet. How do we know that? Because the, this, they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick, they were following him. It doesn't mean that they were disciples of Jesus, It's just they had seen some pretty cool moments. Like there was some ta-da moments that Jesus had done and they're like, man, we need to check this guy out. Is he who he says he is? You know, I heard he saw a woman in half the other day. What, you serious? Yeah, you you see him do a card trick? No, that's not what he was doing. But they were that interested like something spectacular was going on. Well, before the crowd got there, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. And I see him sitting down with his disciples. He's going to share some information with them. He's going to teach him. How do we know this? Because the very next scripture says the Jewish Passover festival was near. And the reason why the author puts this in is he's setting the stage for later on because the Passover festival was when the Jews got together and they celebrated being exodused out of Egypt. They were Hebrew slaves under the whip and the, and the mighty hammer of Pharaoh, and they were exodus out through those 10 miracles of God, one of them being where the angel, uh, where the hand of the Lord went, passed over the houses and didn't bring destruction to that house. He passed over, and, and those that had blood on their doorpost of a lamb which is all about Jesus being the blood that covers us, that they would be passed over. Well, the Passover meal is gonna be coming. At the Passover meal, they drink the, the, the wine representing the blood of the lamb. They tear the, the bread representing the body and the, the manna and the desert and all that God provided. And in a few short weeks, Jesus is gonna say, um, I am what you need to remember here. Not just the Exodus from Egypt, like." do all this in remembrance of, of me. He was pointing them to something. And I don't know if it's mentioned there because he's gonna begin to start unpacking that. No sooner do they sit down and get comfy and pull out their little palm leaves and you know, and they're waving it like this, like you do in church when it's too hot, that Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him. They had, they had finally arrived. Now, to, to Philip, Jesus says this, one of his disciples, he says, oh, where could we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked Philip, Philip's like, do I look like Brookshire Brothers to you? Where are we gonna buy bread for all these guys? Where's the nearer, nearest Panera? Now, why does Jesus say this? Well, the scripture says, he asked this only to test him, to test Philip, because he already had in mind what he was going to to do. Now, Jesus is never going to put you in a test that you can't pass. He's never going to put you in a place where you, you, you can't lean on him for the answer, but he is trying to show Philip, who's been a follower of Jesus for some time now, he's, he's trying to use questions. You know how you do this. You test your kids with questions. Did you clean your room today? You know the answer. You know the answer. It's like my wife saying, hey, when you made that call that I asked you to make three days ago, how did that go? She knows I didn't make the call. It's just her way to like, get it in there. And so I'll just say, oh, it went really, really well, actually. And she goes, "Uh," yeah, I'm lying to you, but yeah, whatever, okay? Like, there's a moment where Jesus wants to, like a refiner's fire, he has every right to test the metal. He has every right as the potter to take you off the potter's wheel and start over and begin again. And he uses questions. Questions are so powerful. So I wanna offer you two questions today in what I've titled the, bigness, the biggest picnic table ever. Two questions that we're gonna unpack. Here's the first one. Question number one, if you're taking notes, and I want you to, I want you to think about you. I want you to think about maybe the last 21 days. Consider your life, consider some pressures, the good, the bad, the ugly. All right, here's the first question. How do I respond to difficult or seemingly impossible situations? When the going gets tough, do the tough get going? Or when the going gets tough, do I get crazy? When, when the situation seems near impossible, when it's a difficult deal, when I don't know the answer, when the finances have been tight, when the struggle with the child is, is like never ending, when, when, when the, the, the spouse stuff is like, and then there's this tension and you can cut the tension with a knife. When I, when I had to respond, like how do I normally respond? And in this story, we see, the disciples respond in different ways to a seemingly impossible, frustrating, difficult situation. First way some of us respond to a tough situation is like this. I mean, do we ignore the situation completely? Do we go, a ah, la, 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 no, 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 a la, la, scoop it under the rug, like slide it under the rug. Not gonna deal with that. Don't ask me about it again. If I just ignore it, I'm gonna go tortoise on this thing. You know, tortoise, like you're gonna just put the shell up and you're just gonna kind of You know, ostrich, right there into the sand. Do I ignore the situation? Finances are so tight, you know, the credit card debt is mounting, and so you get the bill in the mail and you just, you don't even open it. Because you know what it's gonna say. It's gonna say, I hope you like Target. It's gonna say, Merry Christmas, still, it's August. You know, you know how it is. Do I ignore the situation completely? This is what we see. Uh, By this time, it was late in the day, okay? And Jesus says, where are we gonna get food for all these people? Where are we gonna buy food? And his disciples came to him and says, JC, listen, this is a remote place, okay? There's not a whole lot of fast food around here. We could go to Jack in the Box, but we're all kosher. We don't want Jack in the Box this late, you know. So it's already very late. There's not a lot open. Let's not do this thing, Okay. Send the people away. Jesus, you're all about people, and everything we've seen, you're always connecting with people. But would you do this because we're tired? We don't even really want to deal with this situation. Just send the people away. Goodbye. Delete, block, cancel. So that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. We ain't Chick fil A. Number two: uh, do I try to temporarily fix the situation with human resources? When there is a tough situation, do we just pull ourselves up from the bootstraps, you know and some of that can be a good work ethic. Others of that can be like our answer instead of leaning into Jesus, we want to do it our own way, and I'm guilty. We want to fix it with human resources with, with enough verbiage with the right conflict resolution, with, with the right ABC, with the next self-help book, with, 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 with uh, you know, yelling about it on Facebook to everybody that's my friends that aren't really my friends, but they're there, and they're going to say, mm, you, you go, girl, you tell him. Like, actually tell him. Don't tell Facebook. Tell him. Nevertheless, do we try to fix it with our own human resources. We see it happen in the story. Philip answered and said, uh, Jesus? It's gonna take a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. We ain't talking about a meal. We're talking about like the kind of little thing when you go to the mall and you go to the food court and they're offering one piece of orange chicken. Like everybody's gonna get just like one piece of orange chicken. That's it. Half a year's wages for that. Jesus. That's one way you can do it. Try and fix it with your own resources. You know, many times what we'll do is when we're dealing with pain, we'll fix it with our own resources. Um, oh, just, it's wine o'clock. Um, oh, it's, I'm just going to kind of separate myself and I'm going to do my, my own thing and I'm going to make myself feel good. Find my own escape. Fix the pain with a temporary human resource. Hey, here's another one. Do I solve the situation with my own hands according to my perspective? According to my perspective. Uh, look, look what one of them says. Andrew says, hey, 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 here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. By the way, it, sh- it couldn't have been very late in the day. I mean, the little boy is still out. Uh, I guess the, the, you know, the streetlights hadn't come on yet. You know, back in the day, that was what it was for me in small town USA. When the streetlights came on, you're supposed to ride your bike back home. We won't, we're not going to hear from you all day long. You, you, you could be in a different county for all we know. It's just when the streetlights turn on, come on, because supper's about ready. We're riding our bikes in, leaving them in the grass, running in because we're a little bit late. You know how it is. This little kid's got a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. He's just out hanging out, hanging out with a crowd. Now, Andrew, Andrew sees this meal, but he says, I mean, how far will that go among so many? His perspective was limited. I think this is a good spiritual axiom, a good statement for us to kind of get into our language at Timber Creek, get into into our our spirits, A, a prayer that you and I could be praying consistently and it's this, Jesus, there's a lot of things you can heal. There's a lot of things you can touch. More than anything, will you heal my perspective? Will you heal my perspective? Many times, the answer to the problem that we're bringing to Jesus or bringing to our own human resources really has to do with wanting to shift your perspective. And this whole story isn't even about fish and bread, everybody. Really, what you're gonna see is this whole story is all about A healing of perspective. Our perspective is limited. We need His perspective on our life, on our decisions, on our emotions, on our feelings, on marriage, on decisions. Like we need His perspective. Now, here's a good option out of the three we've already mentioned. Here's the fourth option Do I place my difficult situation in the right hands? There is no greater place you could ever put a hard, difficult situation than in the hands of Jesus. From, from the, the sickness, to the child, to the pain, to the questions, to the addiction, the greatest place you can place anything is in the right hands. But how often do we, instead of placing the right hands, we want to scoop them up to ourselves? I mean, we learn that as Humanity, one of the very first words we love to learn is a four-letter word, mine, mine. And We wanna hang on to it instead of offer it to Jesus. Do I place my difficult situation in the right hands? The right hands that are proven to be faithful, the right hands that are nail-scarred. Before you could ever do anything right, he dies for you. And we struggle with placing these things in his hands Christmas of fifth grade, uh, our daughter uh, got a little Christmas present from us. Uh, she's going to get her her ears pierced. I don't know why we waited that long. If it was like a, you know, no, you're not going to do this. Or I, I don't know. I mean, it was eighth grade. We were finally letting her get tattoos. But fifth grade, we said, okay, we're going to let you. We're going to let you get. You know, we're going we're going to put holes in your skin, and um, it's going to be fun. And uh, she wanted pierced ears. That's just what she wanted. She hadn't really asked for it since then, so we weren't like just trying to, you know, do it. And not that we were gonna do it either. Like, hold oh, still, you know, like, hey, you got to have knife somewhere? And um, so at Christmas morning, she read, a, she read this thing. It was like a scavenger hunt and she picked up some other stuff because this is like what she wanted. I know it's, it's small, but this is what she's so pumped. And so finally the something, the rhyme, blah, 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 if you dare, good luck going to Claire's or whatever. I don't remember what it was. And she's going to get her ears pierced. So she, she actually, when she opened that, um, finally found the clue, she went outside and she like screamed like, "Yeah!" She was so pumped. Well, she gets the ears pierced and um, all is well for about three days. Three days later, she's waking up. She's, ter- She is in full terror mode. 'Cause one of her ears is swollen up like the size of a softball and it's infected and it's nasty and, and she's in, in the bathroom trying to get ready for school and she's like, uh, oh, you know, and it's like, ah, oh, and, and it's tender and and so I, I go go into the to the bathroom and I say, Oh, okay, here, here, let me let me see. She goes, No, 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 don't touch me. Don't touch me. Said, what? It was like Bleh. I mean it was like it was it was, you know, I cast a demon out real quick. Don't push me. <laughs> and I simply said, whoa, 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 whoa. Have you forgotten whose hands these are? Have you forgotten who, who I am? I'm not here to hurt you. If there's any hands you can trust, baby doll, if there's any hands you can trust, sweet girl, you can trust the hands of your dad. Okay. And slowly but surely, I got to help her with the situation. But I wonder, even those close to us, especially even Jesus, we can struggle because we love to be in control, that we would just trust the hands, that if you just place it in his hands, he can do what only he can do when you place the right things in his hands. So the second question today is really this. Now think about it. What if, like, this is a dream moment for you and I. Like, Let's say that we've, we've ignored the situation or we try to la- you know, rely on our own uh, human resources or our own perspectives. But what if today, what if we did choose to place that problem in his hands, to place the struggle, to place, to, to not even really even knowing what that looks like and what your next steps might be. We're gonna help you today. But like, what if you did that? What if you took the next 30 days and instead of tonight at seven o'clock pulling it back out of his hands because you just gotta write that thing or you just gotta respond that way or you just gotta get your fix. What if for 30 days you could place your problems where Jesus invited you to place your problems in his hands? Now, if you did that, if you did that, what would happen? Would it be, and everything is slow motion run in a, you know, to the sunset, like, you know, whatever, some story, some fairy tale, you know, that's the question I want to ask you. like, what should I really expect when I place my difficult situation in the right hands, that everything goes hunky-dory? Because the the Bible is clear. Jesus himself said, hey, it rains on the just and the unjust. On those that love Jesus, those that have not even talked about Jesus. The only time they've used the name of Jesus is in vain. It rains on people like that and on people that bow a knee and, and, and trust and pray and fast. and Like it rains on people. Because we're in a broken world. So what can you expect when you place your difficult situation in the right hands? All right. Number 1, here's what you can expect. And this may be this may be a surprise to some of you. You can expect practical direction. See, many times we have so we have so pocketed Jesus into the Cinderella category or the Jack and the Beanstalk category like it's some kind of hocus pocus thing. That, that we expect everything to kind of be like that, like a bippity-boppity-boo versus like some real practical direction. Look look what Jesus does. The very first thing he has them do in one of the greatest miracles that's shown in all four gospels, Jesus directed them not to pray, not to have communion, okay, not to say his name. He, he, he directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, so they set down, because, you know, the brown grass has all got those little cockaburse things in there. And it's all sticky and nasty. So the green grass, the nice, like it's, it's on the other side of the hill where the country club was. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. <laughs> genius, the genius of Jesus here. Can I, can I just say something to you? There's something powerful about gathering together like this in our rows and, and worshiping God on Sunday. But there's also a very Jesus thing about gathering in groups. Uh, Today we launch into our next semester from now until towards Thanksgiving. These mini sessions that from studying the word of God to playing volleyball and having a prayer together. To encounter on Sunday nights at 6 that helps with hurts and habits and hangups. And getting beyond stuff that may be holding you back as a Christ follower. Like there's all kinds of these places where we gather around into smaller groups. Because God wants to do something right here. But he also wants to do something in smaller groups. He's incredibly strategic in this moment. Now, the word strategy has kind of gotten a bad rap in church. Like, if it ain't the supernatural, it ain't God. We're going to let Jesus set the agenda up on here. we do any kind of strategy, that's man's devices. Well, the truth is, Jesus is all about both, supernatural and strategic. God himself, six days, he creates supernaturally the world. And on the seventh day, what does he do? He... Yeah, was he tired? No. It's not like seven days, like, man, that was good. (laughs) No, like he strategically rests. Why? So later he would show his people, hey, don't you put your hands thinking that it's all about you. You got to rest because you got to remember that it's about me you you got to step aside and, and, and make sure that you, you're not honoring me with a Sabbath. I mean, you're honoring the Sabbath. You're keeping it holy, but it's really not to my benefit because I'm God. I'm holy whether you're holy or not. I'm God. I'm good. I, I, don't, I, I don't have an inhaler. But for you, you need a Sabbath so that you can be reminded that everything you have is really from me, not from all you could ever do. So expect some practical direction. Jesus, please, would you help me with my finances? And you're like, you're waiting for the, you know, the Holy Spirit dove to come in with a new, you know, with a wad of cash. And the practical direction is like, thus saith the Lord, cut up your credit card. Like, thus saith the Lord, like, stop spending more than you're making. Like, take some steps. Jesus, I wish you'd just, man, do a miracle. And my wife, she just nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging. And I just, kind of had enough. And his, his spiritual direction isn't to like, like, shut your wife up. His practical direction would probably be like, hey, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Okay? Pretty practical, isn't it? Okay? It's not about rubbing another prayer into that wound. It's sometimes it's just simply doing what he's already said to do and being very practical. But you can also, not only should you expect practical direction, here's another thing you can expect. Number two, you can expect to be blessed. When, when, when God shows up and you've placed something in his hands, you can expect that to be blessed. You can. And something else. A sweet man... Um, love Jesus got radically resaved in this church and for years and years served, made a difference in our media team and some other stuff. His name was Larry. And Larry, uh, several years ago, passed away. And I had the privilege of, of officiating his funeral right here at the Lufkin location. But there was something that Larry always said. He, first of all, he had this voice that was just, so, it was unique. And I loved it. And, and he was like, he was saved, but he also like, I mean, he has some cool 70s vibes too. And, 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 and he, he just, man, like, less, uh, more cowbell. Like, it was, it was awesome. And And I love Larry. But when you'd ask him, how you doing, Larry? Here was his response. He'd say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed and highly favored. Blessed and highly favored. And I loved Larry's heart and excitement and his enthusiasm. But that's not the answer. You can expect to be blessed and highly favored every time you put something in the hands of Jesus. Well, maybe, but not always. Not always. Maybe you should be able to be blessed and never stressed. Put on your Sunday best. Like I'm too blessed to be stressed. And if I just put it in his hands, I, everything's going to be good. And I'm just, just going to be walking on sunshine. Woo. So what could you? You expect to be blessed. Yes, of course. You want to put it in his hands. You expect to be blessed. But could it be that also you should have some expectation of being broken too? That, that, that when you truly surrender to his hands, that as the maker, as the creator, as the designer of you. Could it be that when you walk into his shop and you lay your heart in his hands, could it be that like a, like a fine watch, that he may have to pop some stuff open and, 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 and recalibrate some things that, that is all about healing you, but it may feel like you're being Broken. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, the proverb says. It doesn't mean that friends will always wound you. They'll always stab you in the back. It means like a surgeon that in order to address the cancer may have to cut you or wound you to see the healing come. Jesus sometimes has to break us. Some of that being perspective. Sometimes that's that's our reliance on self. And he places in a position where the arrogance gets finally broken or the excuses finally dry up and it's broken. And he says, oh, I do great work with broken things. I I, I do great work with broken things. In this story, there's no miracle without breaking. There's no miracle without a breaking. We see it take place Mark 6, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Number one, Jesus will take whatever you want to offer him. But you don't know what I did. You don't know how many times that I've offered it to him and then I've taken it right back. That I've picked it right back up out of his hands. His hands are open. Whatever you have to give to Jesus, come to me those of you who are heavy, you're weary with all this stuff that you're trying to carry in your own hands, come to me. And here's what Jesus does. Look what he does. He, he takes this little boy's happy meal. He, he takes it in his hands and he looks up to heaven. So his perspective, he's showing where his perspective, he's not looking at the crowd saying, oh my goodness, how, how are these Cheddar Bay biscuits and this tilapia from Red Lobster gonna make this all happen He looks up to the one who, even Jesus looks up to his father. Everything I have and everything I am comes from you. I don't don't do anything without my father telling me what to do. He looks up to heaven. Here's what he does in the middle of this. This is crazy. This is a tough situation. He gives thanks. And it's not like rub-a-dub-dub thanks for the grub. Like he gives thanks for a seemingly impossible situation. He thanks the Lord. Like, there's something about, listen, do you know that people worry a lot these days? Have you ever worried? Ever worried anybody? Okay, all right, all right. Half of you. The other half, you weren't paying attention. Welcome back. (laughs) Yes, you worry. You know what worry is? It's, It's faith in the wrong thing. Worry is faith in the wrong stuff. Faith that if 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 if, if I just uh, then that's going to fix it. It's counterfeit faith. When I stress out and I, and I and I and I worry about something, instead of placing it in His hands, and even when I place it in His hands, when I worry, it's faith in my own emotion, my own feeling of this thing is going to go wrong. He gave thanks. He knew. He knew his source. He knows his source. And then what does he do? Well, he breaks the loaves. It's not like all of a sudden, like all of this bread starts floating up into the sky. It's like, pew, 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 pew. you know, wouldn't that be? Aw- that would be an awesome though. Chosen season three. Like, the the bread just like flies through the air, and somebody's talking. And it's like, oh, you know, thanks. But it doesn't happen like that. Instead, he takes the little bit that he has. He prays, and then he breaks it, and then as he begins to break, there's more than enough. And he's breaking, and he's blessing, and he's breaking, and he's blessing. And the disciples keep coming back, and they're like, Andrew, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Are you seeing what I'm seeing, Philip? Where's Peter? I don't know. Peter went to Chick-fil-A. He thought they were open, but it's Sunday. You know Chick-fil-A's not open on Sunday. Where is Peter? Peter's running back. They're closed, I forgot. (laughs) He gave the bread to his disciples to distribute to the people. This is a divine partnership. He does a miracle, but then he doesn't just go around passing it out. He uses the hands of his disciples. Now, catch something if you are, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, okay? If you're not following Jesus, can I say something to you? I am honored that you're here. Uh, We want this to be a safe place where anyone can find and follow Jesus. You can kick the tires. You can investigate the claims of Christ. You don't have to make a decision today in order for you to be welcome back. Uh, You you can figure it out. Uh, You can decide for yourself, but you do have to decide. Your grandma cannot decide for you, and your spouse cannot decide for you. But let me talk to those of you that you consider yourself a Christ follower. Not perfect, but you're following Jesus. We have a couple thousand people show up on our locations every, every weekend. But let me say it to you as plain as I can say it. You ain't the crowd. You're not here to get another supernatural piece of bread thrown in your mouth. You're the 12. You're not the crowd. You're the 12. You are built. To do more than fill a seat. You have God designs on you. You you, you have master work inside of you. Calling out. "Let, let, Let this rise up. Your hands are meant to be. The hands and feet of Jesus. So. We give opportunities for you to serve on a dream team. But let me say it to you as plainly as I can. If that ain't your cup of tea, fine. But if you ain't serving, you're missing out on part of your responsibility as a Christ follower. So if it's not gonna be through the local church, you need to find somewhere where you are serving the kingdom of God and distributing the bread of life. And whatever that looks like for you, we wanna help with that. We can help with that. We, we wanna provide not only groups but teams, dream teams that, that care and, and help distribute the bread of life to little kiddos and to partner with parents as a great partner. We can't be your substitute teacher, but we will be a partner with you in the development of your own maturity, your own Christ-like con- character convictions and conduct so that you can lead your kids in the right direction. But you gotta be, you're the 12 you're the twelve. So I want you to feel that responsibility don't just come in on a Sunday morning, Christ follower, okay? Christ follower, disciple of Jesus, and say, oh, I want a meal. I want a meal too. Or I'm just not getting fed at that church. Well, maybe you need to start doing some feeding of your, for, for other people. Oh, that is All right, all right, I'm done. So sure enough, he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And look at this number three. Here's what you can expect. When you place your stuff in the right hands, you can expect more than enough. Like you can expect more. Not, not just like barely at the midnight hour. Oh, just like 99.7, 99.8, one hundred No. You can expect more than enough. Look what happens. They all ate and were satisfied. Every single last one of them. Thousands upon thousands of people, men, women, and Children, Scholars say that the 5,000, they would only count the men. So this is quite possibly upwards of 50, half the size of Nacogdoches or Lufkin getting fed on a a hillside. They were looking for Jesus. They were looking for him to do another hocus pocus, ta-da thing. And he feeds them right there. He meets a practical, physical need. Whoa, the disciples are all part of it. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Now there's 12 disciples and there's 12 basketfuls. What in the world does this mean? I don't know, maybe it is. There are blessings for those who serve. Like everybody else on the hillside, they got a meal. The disciples got a golden corral. Like, like they got, I mean, they're walking home with all these you know, styrofoam boxes full There's blessings reserved for those who serve. Now, that's that's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. I mean, hey, roll the credits. It's done. We're over. Sit, boo, boo, sit. Good God. Now, if you grew up in the 80s like me, you know exactly what that was. If you are in a different timeline, you're like, what in the world? If you know, you know. Because what happens is the credits roll, but there's a another scene. I hope you didn't leave the theater too early. Because this whole story takes place, but you don't even know the real meaning to the story unless you stick around for the hidden story after the hillside. Because 12 hours later, the disciples left on a boat to go to the other side of Galilee. Jesus says, I'm I'm gonna take the long way around. I need time for me. (laughs) Like these guys are driving me nuts. Even the son of God is like, are you kidding me? I'm the son of God and I asked for 12 people and this is who you bring in my path? (laughs) I mean, one of them is going to deny me three times. The other one's going to want to, him and his, you know, his brother are going to want to sit right next to me in the kingdom. His mom's all up in my ear, like, Can my son sit by me next to you in heaven? Anyway, he's on his walk. He had to take some walks. What happens is he ends up walking on the water, shows up to the boat, and then the boat shows up on the other side. Now, this is crazy because the crowd, watched Jesus walk the one way and the disciples get on the boat and go the other way and then he shows up and 12 hours later, they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked, Rabbi, (laughs) when did you get here? Now, they're not asking about timeline. Was it 3.50? Was it 4.22? They're like, more like, how did you get here? Like, what is going on? Now, Jesus reads right through their question. Same crowd. Same questions, same issues. And Jesus cuts to the chase. It's the story behind the story. It's the the table talk that really needs to take place. And he says, can I tell you the truth, guys? You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. What got you into Christianity? Was everything else didn't work and then you thought maybe Jesus would be the genie in the bottle? Did we get into this thing of following Jesus based on the miracles that we're looking for? Because he's saying, if you're just looking for miracles, you've missed the whole thing. I'm not trying, I'm, I'm gonna use miracles, but I'm not using miracles to show you how powerful miracles are. I'm using miracles to show you how powerful I am. That if you, if you wanna chase down miracles, okay. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm actually here to testify to the truth about who I am, not what I do alone. They didn't even realize that he was the miracle he was the answer to every starved stomach but they couldn't see it and so he he says you're, you're, you're chasing another revival what you can feel i'm i'm the revival i'm revival in you don't Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. You you want me to roll up my sleeves and start passing out donuts again. And I'm telling you, you gotta spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the son of man can give you. i want to give you eternal life. You're wanting me to satisfy another meal and 12 hours later, you're begging for another one. Am I just your slot machine? Am I just your fast food savior here? I want to give you more than that. And it's like they're not getting it. Because their response to that isn't, ooh, like eyes into the dirt and kind of, ooh. You're right, Jesus. Sorry. Oh. Why did you why did you tell me to say that? You know. Here's what they say: they say, Well, we want to perform God's works too. What should we? do. I mean, again, they're like, after this, we want to see that cool stuff. We want to learn that magic trick. And Jesus replied and everybody pause, get this. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Pause. Whoa. Do not underestimate the power of those words right there from our savior himself. This is the only work that our God wants from you. Now, I grew up in a works-based Christianity where I was in the Lord's army and, and I will march in the infantry and, and showing up to Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Tuesday night and 21 days of prayer which we're in because if I was really a good Christian I'd do all these things and I would work all faith without works is dead and so we are gonna work till we're dead work, 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 work oh I can't believe you said that I can't believe you did this God's gonna be mad God knows and all of a sudden God became like the prince the terrible principle in the movies It was always cross-armed waiting to get at him and we distorted it the view of who God really is. Some of you have been working, 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 and you can't place the stuff into his hands because based on the work that you have or haven't done, you don't feel adequate enough to come chest bared to Jesus, vulnerable, saying, here's all my junk, Jesus. Jesus told him, this is the only work God wants from you. So catch this today, believe in the one he sent. Instead of looking for bread, believe in the one he sent. Because when the going gets tough, we believe in our emotions, we believe more what someone who will have a listening ear that may not even have wisdom flowing through their mouth, but will listen to them. We, we look to social media and celebrity and culture. We look at all those things. And he says, believe in me. Believe in the one who was sent. How do they answer? Do they finally get it? No, they're humans, just like you and me. Well, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? 12 hours ago, he just fed them from a little meal. Oh, how quickly we forget, friend. How quickly we turn a blind eye to all the other wonderful moments Jesus has done when the going gets tough and that's all we can see. So what's all this about? It's like Jesus pulls this crowd together and he says, look, I wish you would get this. So let me tell that to you straight. And here Jesus has kind of an at the table family talk with these people. And he basically says three things to them. He says, guys, you're missing the whole point. I'm the bread. You want another miracle? I'm the miracle. You want another answer? I'm the answer. You want love? I'm love. You want peace? I'm peace. You want comfort? I'm I'm a comforter. You want counsel? I'll counsel you. I'm the bread. I'm the bread. And would you please let me be more than a meal to you? More than just the big man upstairs, East Texas? More than the good old Lord? But like, your father. And that's tough because I know some of you You look at the seat that father should have been at at your table. And it's a whole different story, but I'm telling you, let him be your father. Let me be more than a meal. Let me be the provider of every meal you'll ever need. And then ultimately, he doesn't just stop there. He invites you and me, no matter what we have in our hands, we can place it. He says, hey, will you let any problem Will you let that be my platform? You don't have to let social media be the platform for your problem. You don't have to let your your, your, your anger be the platform for your problem. Will you let me be the platform for your problem? Because when you put the problem in my hands, anything's possible. The problem that, we all face way more than a financial situation or a marital strife is every one of us are born into a really, really, really ridiculously big problem. And it's separation from God, it's sin. And it's not an act you've committed, it's authority you reject. It's you having to be in control from the garden to Peter denying Jesus on the day he was arrested. Control and fear. Refusing that authority, that's our biggest problem. And for some of you in one of our rooms, you know though, it doesn't have to be that way. The same way that Jesus looked at compassion on a crowd for just a little meal that he knew, he knew they're gonna be begging for another meal the next day. And yet he still had compassion and still loved them and knew they weren't gonna get all their ducks in a row, knew they weren't gonna be perfect. They were still gonna come back to him and not even get the whole picture. But in that moment, he sees you and he has compassion on you and he will meet you right where you are in your state of hunger for a final authority in your life. Maybe that's what you need to do today. You need to do business with God. Today's the day to step off the throne of your heart. Place your heart in the hands of Jesus. Don't just look for another miracle, but say, you're the miracle. You're my Lord and my Savior, and today I'm committing my life to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed in every room that we're in today, you may be listening to this podcast three weeks later. You may be watching this video two years from now but Jesus has provided this moment to reach you right where you are. And in your own words, like I've already maybe said, and it's spoken to you, you need Jesus in your life. And maybe you invited him in at one time, but maybe you've drifted. Hey, we all like sheep. We go astray. We do. But you want to recommit a fresh time or maybe for the first time, Jesus, I invite you to be the hands that I lean on to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, with no hesitation, just put a hand right up in the air and put it down. You can put it up and then put it down. Jesus sees you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Any, anybody else across the room? Anybody else? Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. Thank you, ma'am. There in Nacogdoches, Dieball, Duncan, you just put that hand up. We just wanna pray for you. Now I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, but it's not about you listening to my words, it's about you believing in your heart. If you say, Jesus, thank you for meeting me right here on my very own hillside and bringing me way more than just a meal on a Sunday morning. You're what I need. Would you give me a fresh start? Would you take away this stuff that has separated me from you, this desire to control everything and I surrender. Be my Lord, be my Savior. You're the Son of the living God who died and rose again for me and you're preparing a place in heaven for me and I wanna follow you. Will you help me with next steps today? Thank you, Jesus. Now you just keep praying like that and for everybody else in the room, let me pray over you and here's the prayer. You got a problem and you need to place it in Jesus' hands. I just wanna pray with you. So if you have a problem today and you know there's a situation, an impossible or frustration, hurt, a wound, a, a sickness, anything that you're dealing with, just put a hand up in the air at our locations. Yeah, many hands. Mine too. Mine too. Let me just pray over you. Jesus, there is no better place than in your hands. Jesus, you know how good your hands are. Even your father, you say into your hands, I commit my spirit. When you died, like there's something powerful about the hands of God. And in this moment, we simply place emotionally, relationally, spiritually, mentally, we take that problem, we define it. You can't, God, we can't place in your hands what we can't define. So we define that problem, that marital, the financial, the emotional, the spiritual, the sickness, whatever it is. And right now, can you just see yourself placing it right there? right in Jesus' hands. His hands are not crossed. His foot is not tapping, waiting for you to get it right. His hands are outstretched. Put it in his hands right now. And Father, for the next 30 days, we're gonna trust you. You can do more with this thing than I can. Would you give me practical direction? Would you help shift my perspective? Would you, would you bless what needs to be blessed? Would you break what needs to be broken? God, your hands know, you, you know, and I, I release it to you today. And I thank you for this time that I've met with you and heard from you. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen.